time we did. Uh, we both attended, we all attended the same church camp, first church camp together for us. And Greg really, really endeared himself to me particularly. Uh, it was a time in my life when I didn't have, I, I had a real difficulty as a result of post-breakdown trauma, trusting the church and trusting leadership, uh, having gone through some abusive leadership experiences in church life. Um, I was really struggling with trust. And Greg's just tenacity and friendship uh, for that, I remember for a whole year uh, where we met every week, talked and prayed together, just really helped put me back in sync with the, with the body of Christ. So, which forever, I'll be forever grateful. I really will. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but Greg in 1992 came to go to Regent while his wife, uh, Di, worked and at K KPMG. And um, I started around the same time. And many of you know I graduated last uh, April, right? And uh, I just found out that Greg graduated at the same time. He was in the same class. So I was a little disappointed because I thought I'd broken the record for the longest two. But it looks like it's a tie. So <laughs> anyway, let's welcome him. Welcome, Greg. You don't need that, do you? Thank you. That sounds better. Well, thank you, Gordy, and thank you, VEV. Uh, I feel very privileged to be here this morning, and this is a very special place for us. And I forgot that I never get through worship in Vancouver without crying. And it's not cool for an Australian guy to cry. <laughs> Except in worship, that's okay. What I want to do today is tell you a little bit about our story, because I did tell you last night that we planted our church three times, and I had a few people coming up and saying, well, what, what do you mean you planted your church three times? Um, and I'm wondering what it is, what was my wife's urgency in getting me to an event like this. Last night was wonderful, I had a great time, it was fantastic to connect with so many people, but... These sorts of events generally aren't accidental uh, in, in God's kingdom. Um, the coming together of old friends, the coming together of family, reconnecting uh, is usually more significant than we sometimes think. And I wonder if it has to do with the beginning of a new season for you here at, at Vancouver. I know uh, that for uh, a number of years here, um, in the years following uh, on from when we left, there are a bunch of marriage breakups, and then there was a long season with no kids. And I know that these guys here cry, cried out to God to break that season of, of, of barrenness. Um, but I, I wonder, it was fantastic to see, as Don pointed out, people who've been sent, uh, but I wonder if there's been a season of barrenness in terms of not the birthing of little kids, you seem to be quite good at that, <laughs> uh, but in the birthing of new communities, 
And if, if Jesus is bringing you into a new season where once again Vancouver Vineyard, Vancouver Eastside Vineyard, actually birth new communities in different places. And I'm going to tell you that that's a very challenging thing for a little church. We've never been a big church. Uh, we plant, we, we, we've sent out five church plants. Now only two of those are still living. So we planted first in... Our first go was in a little place called Campbelltown, about half an hour south. And that, that went bad really quickly, partly because of my inexperience and partly because of ugly stuff that was out of, out of our hands. Then we sent a couple to plant in a little town called Timaru on the South Island of New Zealand. Um, so you didn't just plant in Australia, you planted in New Zealand as well. You didn't know that, did you? Um, and they, they lasted about, oh, I think, six or seven years. Um, and those guys are back in Australia now and they've just reconnected with our community. So it's really cool having them around because they were like our best friends. That's one of the hard things about planting is that you send away, you're sending away the people that you love. Um, it was incredibly difficult for Diane and I to leave this place because even though we're Aussies, uh, in many ways, this is home for us. We're only here two and a half years. But for us, spiritually, this, this is our home. And so the work that we do in Australia and in the Australian vineyard, and we're not done yet by a long, long way, but we do that representing you. And so there is a very real sense in, in which the kingdom work that we are doing in Australia is your fruit. It's part of your heritage to the nation of Australia. And we're very grateful. <clears throat> we moved back to Australia the second last day of 1994. And very quickly some people gathered around us because they were excited to hear we were different. Right? We came here looking all bright and shiny uh, and evangelical. Uh, and we had some excellent church credentials, but we were really messy on the inside. And it was in this place that, that Jesus broke open our hearts uh, to him and to you and to each other. There was some real healing that happened in our, in our marriage in the few years that we spent here. So when we went back to Australia, we were very different people to the ones who'd come here a couple of years earlier. And there are a bunch of our, our family and friends who were impacted by that and they gathered around us. And so we had a very promising start to our, uh, our first go at planting a church in Sydney. Um, Jesus had called us to a, uh, well, had called me to a, a place called Cabramatta in the southwest of Sydney, which at the time was probably the most ethnically diverse uh, city neighbourhood on, on earth. Um, we were always in the top three. Some, top three. Sometimes we got beaten by a neighbourhood in New York, and there was one in Chicago and one in Tel Aviv. For as to which is the most diverse. Uh, you know, city area in, in the world. I think at the time we were number one. 
And we went there. It was also the centre of the heroin trade uh, for Sydney, so it was a, it was a pretty wild and, and messy place. And we were quite excited, and Diane got pregnant with our first child. And so the first uh, six or eight months, though not without the pains that go with a new church plant, were, were very promising and exciting. And then our baby was born and she died. And so she lived for six days. Uh, but after six days, she died. The doctors did all their tests. They couldn't figure out what, what caused it. And so that was really the end of chapter one for us because we went into a, a dark and sad place for a couple of years. We still had a very faithful group of people around us, but the Lord hid us for probably two years. But that was a very important time for Diane and I because we were always winners. Everything we did, we succeeded. In fact, everything we did, we excelled. We didn't just succeed. And yet we were going into a community of very broken people. And how do winners connect with broken people except from a place of strength? And you don't help broken people if you come from a place of strength. And so in, in losing our first child, a beautiful little girl, we got, we got busted open in a whole new way. And suddenly we discovered that we were broken too. And it's really easy to connect with broken people if you recognise that you're broken yourself. Now this was not what we planned uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't exchange that season. I'd love to have our little girl. Uh, she'd be turning 20 this year. But we didn't get it that way. And we like the two boys we've got. That's cool. Second go, um, we moved into Cabramatta. And we grew a church of people just like us. Now think about that. What did I tell you about our community? Not many people like me in Cabramatta. But we grew a church of about 100 people or so. People just like us. White, middle class, educated, successful in the middle of this busted up community full of every nation on earth. Right? That's, that's quite a gift. Grow a church like that in, that so didn't reflect our neighbourhood. So at, at the point at which I'm so, I'm, I looked the most successful because I've got you know, what looks like a good church. We had a, our own facility, not unlike this one. We had fabulous worship teams. Uh, the preaching was always brilliant. <laughs> and when we invited God to come, he did, but our impact on our neighbourhood was virtually zero because we weren't connected. What's wrong with this picture? Now, it was about this point. What, what do I have to do here, Steve? Sorry? Uh, yeah, the, just the first slide of the... 
Cool. Okay. So I read a book by a guy named Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy. And early on in The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard... It's VEV Talk. He asks a question, and the question is, what if the sad, sorry state of the Western church is not in spite of what we do, but precisely because of what we do? That's a scary question for someone who's pastoring a church. Right? What, what if we've got exactly what we planned for? And so we went back to the drawing boards and we started a new journey. And this journey wasn't about answers. I I was almost a regent grad. Almost. (laughs) So I had lots of answers, or thought I did. But we started a new journey and we started a new journey with questions. And we spent, well, we've spent 10 years dismantling our church, our shiny white church, and starting over with questions. And so this morning I want to have a look at a couple of those questions. Sorry. We had a great group of people. Sorry, that font's a little bit small, isn't it? Right. I'm pretty sure that's not the problem. (laughs) We went back to the drawing board and we asked, what what are we for? And so we began with the question, what is a disciple and how do we make one? What's the good news of the kingdom? And how do we do good news? in a place like Cabramatta. What is the church? So we went back and we looked at fundamental questions because we'd just done the thing that we saw. And we loved the vineyard, and so we thought if we went back and we did this, well, we didn't actually manage to do this the first two goes. There are some features of you that have been reproduced in us in Cabramatta, but this... uh, strange collection of different people. So much diversity in one room. We didn't manage to pull that off the, the first couple of goes through. This is what we wanted. We love this. But we weren't, we weren't as clever as Joe and Shah or Gordy and Kathleen. So I want you to think about this first question for a moment. What is a disciple? And we'll leave aside the how do we make one. But the how do we make one is is important. My experience was doing the church we've always done. I I think every pastor I meet thinks his, his job is to make disciples. But for me, I discovered that doing church the way we'd always done church, it's just too blunt a tool to make disciples who actually follow Jesus. And that's what I signed up for. I, I thought Jesus called me to make disciples, to, get, to connect people to Jesus 
and help them to become like him and start following him and doing the stuff that he did. And so I figured if church the way we've known it doesn't do that, then we need to figure out a new way of doing church because I'm not called to do church. I'm actually called to make disciples. So where would we go to answer the first bit of that question, what is a disciple? Oh, I'm used to my, ch- my church talking to me, so it's okay to talk. The Gospels, yeah? Sure, yeah, what, what's that, Paul? That, that's where we went. We went to Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Do you know that one? I'm guessing you do. Right, Jesus said, all authority and on heaven and in earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. So the, the, this is the last thing Jesus said to his disciples. So it's probably important. And he also gives us a clue as to how we make disciples. This answers both bits of the question. What is a disciple and how do we make it? So what's a disciple? Jesus goes on to say, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And guess what? I'll be with you right to the end of the age. See, Matthew's gospel begins and ends with a promise of God's presence. It begins in in Matthew chapter 1 with the angel giving a name to Jesus. And the name that he gives to Jesus, the first one is Jesus, Yahweh saves. And then there's a second one, Emmanuel, which is God with us. And then the gospel ends with Jesus saying, I will be with you. Do you see what Matthew's saying about Jesus? Right? Well, he's not only saying that, he's saying Jesus is God. Because Emmanuel means God with us and Jesus ends saying, I'm with you. And the reason we can do this is because of his presence, his personal presence with us. But Jesus gives us two steps to making disciples. Right Now, you know disciple means apprentice, right? So a disciple is an apprentice of Jesus. So we're attaching ourselves to Jesus as the master because he's the master of human life. And we learn human life from Jesus. But there's two bits to it, and we get them both in the Great Commission. Right Now, in the Greek, there are two participles which are attached to the main bit. So the main bit is make disciples, and the two participles, that's ing words, words that end in ing, that tell us how to do it. The two ing words are baptising is the first. Can you guess what the second one is? Teaching. So we make disciples by doing two things, baptising them into the name of the triune God. 
The first bit of becoming a disciple is that you have to be immersed in the life of the triune God. And so you come to know God, you come to connect with God as Father, Son and Spirit. The first bit of becoming a disciple of Jesus is being dunked in God, being immersed in his life. That's what I learned for the first time right here. Connecting with God, the idea of, of God, God's life surrounding me. I knew the theological concept. I knew the scriptures. But I met Jesus here. I met the Holy Spirit here. I met the Father here. And I've been on a journey ever since to live a life that's immersed in his presence because that's what a disciple is. The second bit is a little scarier. So the first part of making disciples is is getting immersed into the life of the triune God. The second bit is teaching to obey everything that Jesus commanded. It's not that hard, is it? There's only two steps to making disciples. We immerse them in the life of God and then we teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. That's not hard, is it? Uh, It's a little harder than it sounds. Easier to say than to do. But see, that... Oh, good job, Steve. Sorry. That raises a question for us. What is it that Jesus commanded the twelve? See, I grew up in churches where Paul was most important and we spent all our time reading the letters of Paul and the Gospels were just... Well, we didn't really know what the Gospels were for. They told us about Jesus, but we were told that we weren't meant to uh, do what was in the Gospels. We were meant to do what was in the letters of Paul. What a crazy religion, eh? I had to come to to Canada to hear the Gospels on their own terms and to discover that the Gospel writers were theologians in their own right and that we're actually meant to take what Jesus says seriously. And so we worked our way through the Gospels looking specifically at the commands of Jesus because the last thing Jesus tells us to do is you need to pay attention to what I've commanded the 12 disciples. And so I reread the Gospels paying particular potential attention to every command that Jesus gave and we haven't got, through the, we haven't got past the first three yet. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of others but we're still working on the first three. Now, the first three we find in Mark chapter 1. Mark's my favourite gospel. Uh, it's the shortest and it's, it's a punchy gospel. Um, immediately is his favourite word and that's the kind of world that I live in. Right? That's our world. Right? I, I work with young people and they want everything right now. So Mark's the guy for a generation like that. And when we read Mark's gospel, we discover the first two commands, because the first one, it looks like two, but it's really one. 
says, Jesus came into Galilee announcing the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Now this is Jesus announcing what he's all about. And he begins it by saying, the time has come. Now that's important for us because it alerts us to the fact that this is not the beginning of a story. That Jesus is coming as the climax of a story that goes back to the garden. The time is fulfilled. Jesus is saying, this is what you've been waiting for. How long have they been waiting? Close to a thousand years since Nathan predicted that a son like David, a son of David, would come and rule on David's throne forever. It's more than 700 years since Isaiah announced the the inbreaking of, of God's kindness, God coming to redeem his people again and rescue them from, from exile. Jewish people are amazingly tenacious. Hundreds and hundreds of years they're waiting and Jesus comes and says, this is the story I'm living in and I'm coming as the climax of this story. So what do we need to do? We need to repent and believe. Now repent The the Greek word metanoia has to do with your mind, the way you think. It means change your mind. But it means more than that. What it means is that you need to reorganise your whole life around the coming of God. That's what repent... Repent doesn't mean be sorry for your sins. That's included. Repent means you need to reorient the whole of your life around the coming of God's kingdom. That's what it means to repent and believe. That you take Jesus seriously, then you will reorganise your entire life around the arrival of God's kingdom. Jesus wants to change everything. He won't do it all at one go because he loves us too much. He'll do it little by little. But he wants us to have a change of perspective where we recognise that his thing is meant to be the centre of us and everything that we do. Repent and believe. But Jesus goes on, the next story is connected and it says Jesus is walking along the lake shore and he sees some guys that he knows. We know that from John chapter 1, that Jesus already knew these guys. And he says to them, well, what does he say to them? Do you remember? He says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. See, a disciple of Jesus is somebody who's been immersed in the life of God and is being taught to obey everything that Jesus commanded. Right? listen to the tense of that sentence, is being taught to obey. 
Right? I'm standing up here as a learner, right? as one who is learning to obey Jesus. I've been doing it nearly 50 years, and you know I'm not very good at it even now. I'm trying every day to get up and be a little bit better today at obeying the stuff that Jesus commanded me to do. Right? So I'm learning to obey everything Jesus commanded, which means that when I get up in the morning, I will reorient myself around the inbreaking of God's good news, the coming of God's kingdom. And then I'll follow Jesus into his mission. That's what my life is about. And that's what you're called to. See, this is not something that Jesus gives to pastors because when I heard this message, I wasn't a pastor. That's just something that happened because I started following Jesus into his mission. It's actually better if you're not a pastor. (laughs) Right? You know why? I believe that Jesus called you because there are people in your life that he loves. And I'm not going to get to those people. Gordy's not going to get to those people. You're Jesus in their life. And the only way Jesus can get his good news to these people in your life is as you get immersed in the life of God, and live a life where you're learning to obey Jesus and follow him in his mission. See, we're all called to follow Jesus into his mission. And when we go with his mission, we go with the good news. And the good news is a message. And the message is that God has broken into our world And we can become friends with him. We can get access to everything that he has right now. But it's not just a message. When the good news comes, it's meant to be demonstrated. As we heal the sick, as we drive out demons and break bondages in people's lives... And as we sit down and eat and drink and party with people who get excluded by everyone else. See, this is what Jesus did when he brought good news. He healed the sick because he knew that sickness was one of the ways the enemy enslaved people. He sent away evil spirits with a word because he knew that demons kept people trapped in in fear, in shame in hatred, in unforgiveness, caught up in their own abuse. And Jesus sets us free by breaking the demonic power and inviting us to a new start. And so the good news is not just that God is here, but that God is here to change our situation as we bring our lives under his generous rule. But the good news is not just a message and a ministry. The good news is also a people. See, Jesus always gathered to himself people who received his message 
and received the ministry and they formed a community around Jesus. And this community is like a preview of the age to come. And that's what this place is like. This place is a preview community to East Vancouver and to Lower Post of what it's like when God comes in amongst a bunch of messy people. When God comes, there's healing. It doesn't come all at once, but it comes. When God comes, there's freedom. And as we receive freedom, we become agents of that freedom and we get to do it with our friends. When we receive healing, we get to do it with our friends who need it. But the thing that we often miss when we're telling this story is that Jesus got a bad reputation as a drunkard and a glutton because he went to parties with all of the wrong kinds of people. And see, for most of us, that's what what we were. We were the wrong kind of person. But God invites us to a party. Isaiah 25 says that God's got a party that he's going to throw. And the king invites everyone to come and eat at his table. He doesn't invite the rich, the famous, the well-off. He invited them, but they wouldn't come. (laughs) So he calls us. So we're going to finish it here because Gordy said finish at 12.15. But I just want to sum up. <clears throat> I'm doing my best too. I want to sum up by just going over what it is I believe Jesus is saying to you from us. We're one of your offspring. And we're coming back with gratitude in our hearts. I've, I've actually got uh, a, a gift too. I, the, my church is sending you a gift of 500 bucks. I just didn't know how to get it off my card. Uh, <laughs> if I was organised, I would have got the cash and brought it here. But I just want to let you know that this is just a love gift from us to you because you were throwing a party and we know that you had expenses. So we'll figure out how to get it out of the card and pass that on. I, I know there's those transfer things, but you can see how good I am with technology. So we'll get some help with that. Jesus is calling you to be a maker of disciples. And you start that firstly by being a disciple of yourself, by getting your life immersed in the life of the triune God. And when that happens, you can then start obeying the commands of Jesus. And so that means that you'll start each day thinking, I serve the king. I'm an agent of his generous rule in this world. I get to be a part of his rule breaking in 
to broken lives and messed up situations. We reorient the way we think about life and the world around the coming of the king. And then we follow Jesus into his mission, which is in the middle of your life. It's not something that you do for a couple of weeks in the summer. God's mission happens in your real life every day. You need to ask Jesus what your mission is and how it is that you partner with him in seeing his rule break through into the lives of the people that God has put in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your good news is still good news. That you have come and that you will come every time we call on you. And that because Jesus has started up your new age, that we can access all of the good things that go with your new age every day. We thank you that the kingdom of God is now. And we pray that you will immerse us in your life, God. That you'll surround us with your presence and that you'll increase our awareness of your presence so that when you want to do something in the lives of our friends, our work colleagues, people we bump into, that we realise that you're right there with us and you have exactly what we need. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll fill our, our minds and our hearts with a picture of your kingdom coming in our everyday lives. And God, I pray that you'll birth from this place new communities of hope, and healing. That you'll continue the work of hope and healing that you're doing here because it's still needed so much, Jesus. God, that you'll raise us up and send us out as agents and ministers of your good news. Amen. Wonderful. Um, I maybe Anna or Bob, one of you could go let the children know that we're ready to come. Uh, let the workers know too. Um, and and somebody, if they could let them know the the back, the youth group as well in the back are there. I think what really hit me more than I've ever felt before was the connection between baptism and communion. I believe that we are a Trinitarian community. In other words, when you join the body of Christ, you're joining a community that John said, truly our fellowship is with the Father and his son Jesus Christ. And he was writing, he was writing to his sisters and brothers. He said, our, our community is Trinitarian. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're in that 
We've been included in the life of the Trinity. And that's, of course, uh, powerfully symbolized in, in baptism, when we're baptized into the life of the Trinity, into the body of Christ. But then as we have communion, it's like a continual reminder that we are participating in the life of God. See the connection? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to just commit an act of memory again. So Rick, why don't you come on up?